Man, what a day. Students, could you guys sit here every Sunday, all right? Yes, absolutely. So y'all, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I hope that Student Takeover Sundays just put a smile on your face. It's hard to not smile when you see the energy and experience what it is for us to have these students. And I think I say the same time every Sunday that we do this, but it's worth saying again, like as a church, we need to stop and be so thankful for the next generation that God has entrusted to us. What a gift these guys and girls are. And what a gift it is for us to have the opportunity to disciple them, to pour into them, and to just love them to Jesus. Guys, we, we do love you. And we're so, so glad that you're here. We're glad that you've had a great retreat. I'm glad to be out here with you. I am not going to lay down on this thing like Emma did. I'm going to stay standing, all right? All right. So this morning, as we get kicked off, I want to ask everyone a question. Here it is. How do you respond when you get a bad gift? Right? How do you respond when you get a bad gift? Students, maybe for you, it's like something that you get from one of your grandparents, and it feels like it would be perfectly suited for somebody about five years younger than you, and they just missed it. You know? They're like, you're like, no, I've moved on. I'm not the chubby, you know, little pinch-my-cheek kind of kid anymore. You, you got this for someone that's much younger than me. Adults, maybe it's something that came from your company, like to celebrate a long work anniversary, and it's like, man, if you were trying to express gratitude, you missed the mark. This just stinks. I don't need another clock for the mantle. You know, maybe it was something that came from one of your kids. Maybe it was like something that, you know, wasn't necessarily bad. It's just not what you wanted. I've been there, right? I've been in that situation. I don't know if y'all remember this. A couple years ago, I told y'all about this set of kitchen knives that I wanted. They were self-sharpening. Every time you pull a knife out, it sharpens itself. When you pull it out and put it back in, it's a self-sharpening set of kitchen knives. My in-laws were going to get this for me. I can feel it when I pick up the box. It's the size. It's the shape. It's the weight. It's all the right things. I unwrap it, and guess what they got me? A set of kitchen knives that don't sharpen themselves. I've already got that. You know, like not to sound ungrateful, but it's not at all what I, I wanted. And in those moments, I find myself going, okay, Randy, what is your face saying? Because everything inside of me is like, you didn't get it right. You know, and I, I don't have a poker face. How many of you have a good poker face? Yeah, who's with me? And you've really got to actively think about what is my face saying in response to this bad gift. Now, I want to ask you a similar but different question. How do you respond to a great gift? Like when you get exactly what you wanted, like it absolutely nailed all of your hopes and expectations. How do you respond? What do you do when you get something that's just perfect for you. For me, I've gotten a couple of really good gifts recently. So I just got these socks from Michelle. They're, they're hot wing socks. Can you see them? They're kind of orange and blue, a little bit of Astro thing going on. Uh, but these are my chicken wing socks because chicken wings are my love language. And I also like fun socks. So chicken wing socks, man, that's a heck of a deal. But I actually got a gift recently that I think was even, even more me. All right. This is an ear cam because I am wildly crazy about inner ear hygiene, all right? So I want to show you, Booth, are you guys ready to turn it to the ear cam? I want to show you all this morning. I'm just kidding. You're not going to have to see inside my ear. <laughs> but Joseph, our small groups pastor, knows how much I care about ear hygiene, and he bought me this ear cam, and that's awesome, right? So in those moments, when you get just the right gift, how do you respond? What are you like? Are you one of those people that it is so fun to get gifts for because you are just that perfect mix of, of awe and excitement. You know what I'm talking about? Like a kid on Christmas morning. How do you respond to a great gift? Do you go in for the immediate bear hug and just bring it in, you know, love them up? Do you wait a couple days and send just the, the most perfectly written thank you note? Do you 
have this idea of, man, I just want to pay it forward. This meant so much to me. This was so valuable to me. This made me feel so loved that I just want to go and love somebody else and give somebody else some kind of cool gift. Or maybe your response to a, a great gift is this kind of sense of shame and guilt a little bit because you know that what you got them doesn't quite measure up to what they got you. You ever go there and you're like, oh, all of a sudden, those, that necktie I bought dad doesn't feel real appropriate, you know, because he got me all my wild hopes and dreams, you know? So why all this talk about gifts? Because as we continue today in our journey with Jesus through the Gospel of John, we're going to see this very brief but very powerful moment, and it's all about gifts, and it's all about reactions. So turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 12. And as we go to John 12, I want to set the scene for what we're going to see today. We're going to be at a dinner party, a dinner party in the Bible, and this dinner party has been thrown in Jesus' honor. Now think about this. In John, we've seen so many times where Jesus is not honored the way that he should be. We see him demeaned, degraded. We see him put down. We see him questioned. We never see Jesus quite lifted up the way that he deserves to be lifted up, but this dinner party, this is thrown for him as a, a thank you. What are they thanking him for? Well, it's a thank you from Lazarus's family for raising Lazarus from the dead. What do you get the guy who raised your family member from the dead? Right? I think a dinner party. That must be it. As you do, a dinner party. And so at this dinner party, at the very center of it, what you'll see is this sacrificial gift and some reactions to this radical gift. And we're going to look at both. And these two different reactions are put together as contrasts for us to see a way to go and a way not to go. We'll see a model for how we live our lives and a model of what not to do. One that shows Jesus honor and one that shows great dishonor. Now what I'm going to do this morning is read the entire passage, just eight, eight verses, John 12, 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, follow the words on the screen. Also, you can use the BPF app, and I would love for you to go after the service to the Welcome Center in the foyer and get a free copy of the Bible this morning. But here we go, John 12, 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. This was a place where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha, this is one of Lazarus' sisters, served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary, another sister of Lazarus, took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and then wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the, the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And so in these eight verses, we have this sacrificial gift and these two reactions. And I want us to start with the gift that Mary gave Jesus. And to really understand this gift, you really have to get into the first century world. Context is everything when reading and interpreting the Bible. And one of the contexts that we have to look to is the historical context. So we need to understand the time that this takes place in when Jesus and his disciples walked on earth. So this is in the first century. And in this time and period, think about this. This is before showers. This is before deodorant, all right? So it's a very different time. This is a much stinkier time. It's a very stinky time in the world, not because people were any stinkier, but because they had less ways to mask the stink. 
So if you go to a dinner party in this stinky time, unless you have some adjustments, unless you have some ways to, to remedy it, the dinner party is going to smell like an eighth grade boy's locker room. And who wants to eat dinner in that setting? Not me, not ever. And so this fragrant ointment would be used to overcome the stink. Now think about this. We still do this in the 21st century. We use things to overcome stink. We use candles, fragrant scented candles in our house. Anybody? I hate them. I don't like them. I don't like them if they smell like fall. I don't like them if they smell like Christmas. I don't like them if they smell like cotton candy. I'm out on all fragrance scented candles because I'm allergic. But we use them. We light them. And we especially light them at my house when guests are coming over. Why do we light candles? To hide our stink. Because we want our guests to think that our dog doesn't stink. We want our guests to think that our three children don't stink. We want our guests to think that our poop doesn't stink, right? It stinks. We all stink. But we mask stink. Now, what they would do as a custom, instead of lighting a scented candle, would be put a dab of this fragrance on people's forehead as you came into the dinner party. Have a dab. As you come into the dinner party, have a dab. Have a dab. And that dab would overcome the stink in the room. They put it close to the nose so that you could smell it and you wouldn't smell the B.O. Because who wants to smell B.O. at a dinner party? Now, a dab was all that you did because this stuff was expensive. Why was it expensive? Because it was valuable. Why was it valuable? Because it was so necessary in their day and time. But what we see in John 12 is that Mary didn't dab. No, Mary didn't dab. Mary poured out, right? It says here that Mary took the container and she broke it in a no going back kind of way. She couldn't put it back in. She broke the container and she didn't dab this on the guest. No, she poured this out on a guest. She poured it out. And it didn't just overcome the stink in the room. It overwhelmed the stink in the room. The fragrance of perfume filled the room. And I have to be honest, as an asthmatic who has allergies, this makes me wince a little bit because I am so allergic to perfume. And if you ever see me sit beside you and then politely go away and go a couple rows over, it's not you. It's your perfume. It just kills me. And then I can't get up here and preach. All right. So when I see this and hear this, that's what I think about how fragrant the place must have been because Mary poured not dabbed. Now, you need to understand how radical this truly was. This was such a sacrificial thing for Mary to do for Jesus. Why was it so sacrificial? Why was it so radical? The passage indicates that the value, the value of the perfume was about a year's wages. One year of salary, not one month, 12 months, the whole calendar year of salary. This was very, very, very expensive stuff. It was worth a lot of money. And she didn't just dab it on the guests like she was supposed to. She poured it out. She didn't just dabble. She poured. Now, think even more deeply about the value of this experience, this expensive perfume for Mary's family. This was something that the entire family owned together. And the value of it cannot be overstated. It was likely the security for their financial future because this had the value of one year's worth of wages. The world goes to, to pot, the economy wrecks. Well, at least we've still got the perfume. We can still eat, right? It was likely their financial security. It was like a, a first century 401k, right? They were expecting this to take care of them into the future. It would have been passed down as an inheritance from generation to generation to generation. How important are those kinds of things to us today, right? Inheritance, family heirlooms. 401ks. Like these are things that, that we value. And I don't know what exactly the circumstances of this family was. I don't know how poor or rich they were. I don't know why they had this valuable bottle of perfume, but they did. And pouring it out was a radical, radical move. And she didn't dab. She didn't smudge. 
She didn't just place it on his forehead. No, she poured it out, and she poured it out on his feet. Now, to understand the significance of this, you need to go back and understand the first century world. Like, feet were disgusting. They didn't have sneakers. They had sandals. They didn't have paved roads. They had dirt roads, and feet got funky. Like, this was the stink of the stank in their world. And it wasn't just practically stinky and funky. It was metaphorically also the lowest point of a person. It wasn't just physically the lowest point. It was so degrading and so dishonoring. To do anything with feet was to demean or dishonor yourself. They were unclean. And feet were culturally degrading. And yet she poured her most valuable possession out. Not on Jesus' head but on his feet. And as if this moment couldn't get more radical, then what Mary did was she scandalously unbound her hair, her long, dark hair that would have been up. She took it down, and then she began to use her hair as if it was a towel to clean the Lord's feet, to wipe it, to make clean, to spread the perfume around. She messed with his unclean feet with her clean hair. She took the best of her, what was in the most sacred position on the body, and she used it on the worst of him, the most lowly and degrading part of a person. When you see this, what you see is that Mary's gift was a radical, relational response to Jesus. And it's a model. It's a model for us of how we honor Christ with our lives. We want to know, what do I do? What does God want from me? What does life look like as a Christ follower? This is it. John 12, Mary becomes a model for us of how to honor Christ. And it's a radical, relational kind of honoring. What do I mean by that? It's radical because it's extravagant. And it's costly. You want to honor Jesus? It's going to cost you your life. It's relational because it was personal. Mary's act was so deeply personal and intimate. It was so loving. It was so unconcerned with societal norms. It was so unconcerned with the opinions of other people. And that's just who Mary was. Mary continually lived counterculturally. You want to honor Jesus, be prepared to be countercultural. See, Mary's radical relational gift said to Jesus, I will give all that I have and all that I am for all that I believe that you are. All of me for all of you. And y'all, that's the model. But you go back to John 12, and we see not just the sacrificial gift, but we see the reactions. And I want us to examine Judas's response to Mary's gift. Go back to John 12, verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this. John gives us some commentary. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as a keeper of the money bag, he used, he used to help it to help himself to it and to what was put into it. So who is this Judas behind this reaction? Let's make sure. Let's not assume that everyone knows who Judas is. John 12 tells us some things about him. It tells us that he was a disciple. He was one of Jesus' followers. He was in the family. He was in the gang. He was the treasurer for the group. He was in charge of the money bag. But it also tells us that he was a thief, that he took from it for himself. It also tells us here that ultimately he is the one who would betray Jesus. And if you fast forward just a little bit into John 13, you will see, you will see Jesus predict Judas' betrayal. 
If you fast forward even further into John 18, you will see the moment of Judas's betrayal when he goes out and he gets the soldiers and he gets the guards and he gets the religious leaders and he personally brings them back to where Jesus is to sell Jesus out. Ultimately, Jesus will be arrested and that arrest will lead to Jesus's ultimate sacrificial crucifixion on the cross. That's the Judas that we're dealing with here in John 12. That Judas was outraged and he was angry over Mary's gift. When you read his words in John 12, you should hear anger. The tone of these words was loud. He was mad. He was frustrated. He was angry over this sacrificial gift. And what the other gospel accounts tell us is that Judas wasn't the only one that reacted that way. The other disciples did too. The other disciples were frustrated and angry over this as well. And I want you to look really closely at what Judas said. I want you to look at what Judas asked. And I want you to, for a moment, just ignore the commentary that John gave us on this and take it at face value. Why wasn't the valuable perfume sold for the sake of the poor? Why? Why was it wasted on Jesus is what he's asking. Why wasn't it used for a better, higher purpose is what he's asking. Why was it wasted? Why was it poured out instead of being dabbed? Why not just dab it as the custom was? Why pour every bit, every bit of this that's value as a year's worth of wages? Why use it in this one moment? Why? Why? And just consider the thoughts and the questions of everyone that experienced that in this room when it wasn't just overcome, but it was overwhelmed by the smell of the fragrance. Why? Seems like a reasonable question, doesn't it? And yet, it's anything but reasonable because John's commentary tells us that Judas's question was just an excuse. It was an excuse from a greedy thief that disguised himself as a good and religious and pious person. And what we see about Judas's reaction, Judas's response is this. It was a reasonable religious response to Jesus, and that is a model of dishonor. It's a model of what not to do with our lives. Reasonable because it appeared to be practical and measured. Let's be honest. We love to be practical, right? We love to be measured in our reactions and our responses. We love to be measured in our, our lives. It was religious because it was, it was disguised as this work of compassion and this work of charity that's, that's the flow out of a, a heart that is for the, the poor. But what John points out to us is that Judas, Judas did not love the poor. No, Judas loved money. From start to finish, Judas's love and master was money. John 12 is about money. Judas saw Jesus as something profitable, as a means to a selfish end. Everything about Jesus was only about what Judas could get and not about what he could give. He went to Jesus for what he could get with no interest in giving, no interest in sacrificing, no interest in leveraging his life for the sake of Christ. It was all about gain for Judas, not at all about sacrifice. And Mary's radical relational response was so genuine and so sacrificial and so other and so opposite of that. Judas's reasonable religious response, it was so hollow and it was so self-seeking. And one of them honors Jesus. And the other dishonors him greatly. But at the center of this story is Jesus himself. And I want you to think about that as this scene unfolds. Jesus, the recipient of the sacrificial gift. Jesus, the one who is known still today for his humility. Jesus, the one who said of himself, I have come to serve and not be served. This Jesus, this Jesus who highly valued the poor. 
without question valued the poor. This Jesus who loved the vulnerable, this Jesus who, who came for the down and out, how would this Jesus respond to Mary's radical, radical gift? Well, let's go back to the verses and be reminded of Jesus' response. John 12, 7, Jesus said this, Leave her alone. Leave her alone, Judas. Leave her alone, other disciples. Leave her alone, Martha. Leave her alone. Those of you who misunderstand, those of you who are misguided, those of you who are only concerned about this temporary world, leave her alone. Because in this moment, what we see is that Jesus received her humble and radical worship. She offered it with joy, and Jesus joyfully received it. Make no mistake. Jesus Christ values the poor. That is made so abundantly clear in so many other places in all of the Gospels. It is so obvious to us that Jesus values the poor. This does not devalue the poor. It just clearly communicates the unsurpassed value of treasuring Jesus Christ above all things. Above all people. Above anything and everything, he is to be treasured above all. Jesus' reaction to, to Mary's gift, Jesus' reaction to Judas' response, it is a clear, clear challenge. Don't hold back worship. Don't be so practical, so religious, so measured. Don't hinder it. Don't hurt it. Don't hold it back. Don't dabble in it. But instead, let your life be poured out for it. And can I be honest with you this morning, church? Like, I'm afraid some of you do dabble in this. I'm afraid for, for some of you, this is a dabbling kind of thing. It is a, a Sunday-only kind of thing when Jesus is calling for all of you to be poured out for all of him. It's not a Sunday thing. It's a Monday through Sunday thing. Don't hinder it. Don't hold it back. Don't dabble in it, but be poured out for him. And what you see is that Mary's gift was sacrificial. It was costly. It was extravagant. It was radical because it was given for the sacrificial giver. And then it serves as a model for us of how we live our lives, how we respond to Jesus. How do you respond to a good gift? How do you respond to the greatest gift? You see, Jesus... Sacrifice greatly for our salvation, for our rescue, for us to be reconciled into relationship. He sacrificed to do that. He stepped out of heaven into the earth that he created. He stepped into the limitations of the human skin that he created. He stepped into time and space that he lived and existed outside of. He stepped onto the cross to die a criminal's death. He stepped into the grave to be placed in the place of the dead, he is the sacrificial giver. And I want you to see this in John 12. There is no way that Mary could outgive Jesus. No matter how radical her gift was, his gift was more radical. No matter how sacrificial her gift was, his gift was more sacrificial. No matter how loving her gift was, his gift was more loving. Because he gives the life-transforming, self-sacrificing gift of grace and forgiveness and the peace that comes with that and the rest that comes through that and the reconciliation with God that our souls long for. That's what he gave himself to give. You see, he's the amazing one in this story, not Mary. Mary's just a simple model 
for what it looks like to be a humble Christ follower who leverages their life for the sake of the king. She's an example of what it looks like to respond to his person, to his power, to his great sacrifice. She's an example, a model of what it looks like to honor him, however humbly with our lives. And so we look at Mary as the model and we say, how do we do that? How do I do that? What do I, I do? And to help us see that, I want to I look at something that, that Pastor Tim Keller, one of my favorite preachers and authors, says about John 12. And speaking to this contrast that we see between Judas and Mary, he says this, Judas sold Jesus out to be used as a means to an end, but Mary sold out for Jesus and was used as a gift to God. You see the difference? Judas sold Jesus out, and it was all about him. Mary sold out for Jesus and leveraged her whole life, saying, all of me for all of you. Church, listen to me. We cannot dabble in Jesus. You can't just dabble in Christ. You're fooling yourself. It's an all-in kind of faith. You can't just dabble in worship. It's not just a, a one-hour, one-half-hour kind of thing on a Sunday morning. It's not just when it's convenient. It's not just when it's comfortable. It's a 24-7, 365 kind of way of life, a lifestyle, not a Sunday thing, but a Monday through Sunday thing. It's a radical, relational response to a changed life. And so when you think about how to do this, let me tell you, you can forget about being reasonable. We want so much to be practical and reasonable. Forget that. Because after all, we're the ones who believe in an ancient book of books that tells us at the center of it is this God-man who lived perfectly and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We are the ones who believe that because of him, this life is not the end. That this life is not the end. That there's more, and what is to come is so much greater. That because of him, we're going to experience the inheritance of heaven. That our inheritance is not earthly, worldly things. It is a heaven that cannot be taken from us. And it is a place, it is an experience, it is the presence of God where there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more struggle, no more problems, but just unfiltered, holy worship of Christ. So forget about being reasonable. And forget about being understood. Like, if you believe these things, if you live these things, you should not expect to be understood by your family, by your friends, by your coworkers. You should not expect to be understood by your classmates. You will live counterculturally. Forget about being religious, too, right? It's a, a, a reasonable religious response. Listen to me. That sounds strange to say to church people. Forget about being religious, but I mean it. What I see in religious people is this idea of earn and earn and earn and justify and do things to, to make God love you. No, no, no. That's empty religion. Yes, we are to value the poor. Yes, we are to value charity and compassion. Yes, we are to value good religious activity that doesn't justify ourselves, but as a response to being justified by Christ, lives in gratitude and says, I'm going to engage in these activities because they connect me to God and they connect people to God. That's why we do religious activity, because it fuels and fosters relationship, the relationship that we've been freely given, radically, scandalously, Reconciled to God himself through God himself. So how do you respond to the greatest gift? Don't just dabble. Don't just follow the customs. Pour it out. Hold nothing back. 
Give your whole self and like Mary, like, like lean into this, not with obligation, but with delight, with great joy. Sell out for Jesus, even today, even right now. Let her model be your model. Don't be like Judas, be like Mary. And listen to me, church. When you think about this, when I think about this, this is the question I want you to interact as a, a reaction to this this morning. It's what spaces in your life, what spaces in your life, your personal life, is God saying to you, pour it out for me. Pour it all out. And your reaction, your response is, wait a minute. I would much more prefer to cautiously, comfortably just dabble. Pour it out. No, God. I'd rather just dabble in this. What spaces for you is it? Is God saying, give me your whole heart. And you say, man, you can have this part of it, but I'm going to keep the majority of it for these other things that I love. Is God saying to you, give me your service and your time. And you're like, God, you can have this, this sliver of it, but I've got to reserve all of these time, all of this time, all of this effort, all of these things for all of these things that are really my true life's purpose. What is it that God is saying, pour it out? And you're saying, no, I'd rather just comfortably, casually dabble. Is it maybe your money? Because we can't ignore that John 12 is about money. It is. And God's saying, give it to me. Like, it's not your source of security. I am. And you say, well, God, I'm going to be radical enough to give you this, this 10. And he says, no, I don't want the 10 and I don't want the 90. I want the 100 because I want all of you. And I want you to leverage all of yourself for all of me. Maybe it's trust. It says, pour out your trust on me. Go all in. Let me tell you, there's no such thing as a portion of faith. Faith is radical. It has to be radical in nature. And I will tell you, as I personally interact with this question, my answer personally is something that wasn't on my list. Can I be vulnerable with you this morning? Like when God says to me, pour it out, and I'm saying back to him, I think I would much more rather comfortably, casually dabble. It's in forgiveness. I was like, pour it out the way I have poured it out on you. Pour it out on them, a specific them. I'm like, no, God, I'd, I'd, much, I'd much rather just follow the customs. I'd much rather just do a smudge so that we're in the room that it overcomes the stink just a little bit and we can act like this isn't there. And God's saying to me, no, pour it out, pour it out. Pour out the forgiveness, pour out the grace and do it the way that I am pouring grace and forgiveness out on you because that's going to overwhelm the situation. That's going to change the dynamic. That's going to represent the gospel in that you will honor me. If you dabble, you won't. So pour it out. Pour out the forgiveness. What is it for you that you're just dabbling when Mary's model says radically pour it out? Listen to me. If you're not a Christ follower this morning and you're here at Brazos Point because you believe that this is a place where you can have real questions about faith in Jesus, I promise you that is true. We've created this church for you. And I want to speak clearly and boldly to you this morning. If you're here because you're interested in relationship with Christ, discover this truth today. Jesus is not looking for half-hearted religious people. He wants your whole heart. Students, he wants to offer you the greatest gift that you could ever receive. And in return, he wants your whole life. You can't just dabble in Jesus. Christ follower, don't hold back. Not a Christ follower, go all in.
a Judas. Follow the model of Mary. It's relational and it's radical because he's worth it. He's worth it. Let's pray. Father, this morning I thank you for your word and I thank you for this passage that it's been recorded and preserved that today we could experience Christ in it, that we could see your gospel and that we could receive from you this message, this gentle message of what it looks like to give us your, our whole life for your glory, for your honor, for your kingdom. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to overcome the stingy and sinful parts of ourselves that want to hold back. Help us to be bold and courageous to live radically and to worship to worship you the way you deserve to be worshiped. Help us to treasure you above all things, Jesus, this morning. We declare with grateful hearts that we treasure you. It is with gratitude that we worship because you are worthy of our worship. In Christ's name we pray.